the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Crossover, step back! Where the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia comes to get their sports live. Is this the dagger? It is a great night to be a Mountaineer wherever you may be. Agent back to pass. Rush down the pocket. Throwing it downfield. It's into the end zone. Oh, he caught it! Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner, Luke Wiggs, and Parker Stone. It is a Friday the 23rd, and you're tuned into Panhandle Sports Live, brought to you by Mountaineer Kitchens and Baths. Since 1995, Mountaineer Kitchens and Baths have delivered distinguished remodeling services to our home community of Martinsburg. From new construction to remodeling, Mountaineer Kitchens and Baths can design your new kitchen or bath. Their talented designers can bring to life any concept you'd like to create. Check them out at mountaineerkitchensandbath.com on Facebook, or you can visit them at their showroom at 967 Hedgesville Road in Martinsburg. I'm Jordan Nice Warner. Alongside me, Luke Wiggs. Parker's out for the day, but Luke, how you doing? I'm doing just fine. You feel pretty good after a WVU victory and a nice night at Captain Bender's, of course, for the Ernie McCook show. Although, like I told you, it was the first time uh, since I got my car a couple of months ago I had to turn the heat on. Oh, it does work. Dude, I'm which is dying. Cool. I'm dying right now. It's if an you, icebox. If you were to see me, I got the hoodie on up. I got the beanie on. I got the, like the, uh, what do they call these? It's like a turtleneck. It's like a disconnected turtleneck type of thing. Got it all. Because I can't stand the cold. As soon as it starts feeling uh, that that breeze starts to hit, it's got a little chill in it, I'm done. But yeah, it's nice to actually talk to you, Luke, after a uh, West Virginia win instead of after a West Virginia loss. I think it's the first time this season, really. It feels good. Yeah. Especially, well, a good, a good win. Uh, that is, of course, they beat Towson, but this was a a big one in a hostile environment. It's always fun to see those uh, Enter Sandman videos and stuff of them coming in. Although I feel like nowadays it's still cool. But with how like different schools have the LED lights and they change the colors and they flash them and things, it, it makes it look way cooler when they do that. And it, yes, Interstate Man was still you know electric, whatever. But when it's just the lights, the normal lights, and that's it, I feel like it kind of takes away from it nowadays. You know, it didn't hit yesterday like it used to. I don't yeah. know why. Uh, and that was because I showed up just a little bit late. I was doing laundry and I pulled into Captain Bender's and I was parked in my car and I didn't want to go inside yet because I had it on my phone. Uh, don't be on your phone in your car, kids. And I was uh, uh, watching that bit while I was walking up into the bar. And it just, I don't know, it just wasn't quite the same. Which, by the way, rookie mistake. I was afraid there wasn't going to be parking in front of the bar yesterday. So uh, I aired on the side of caution, parked like, I don't know, a block away. I'll tell you, Sharpsburg with the, the street lights, a couple of them were burned out. I was thinking the ghost of General George Meade was going to chase me down or something when I was walking back to my car when it was over. It's a little spooky there after hours. How far out did you park? Uh, just a uh, two-tenths of a mile, probably. Two-tenths of a mile. Well, you probably, if you were closer like towards Shepherdstown Way, uh, that's where uh, General Lee and the Confederates, that's where their base was. Or the Battle of Antietam. So you might have been walking. uh, You might not have been walking alone, I guess is what I should say. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we'll get into more of the West Virginia game uh, here in a bit. And we'll we'll talk about the Ernie McCook show as well uh, after a while. But uh, tonight... We got some football right here on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's our WPM Panhandle Game of the Week. And Luke, I think this one's shaping up to really be the best one, really, of the series so far. Yeah, we always hope that each one's better than the last. And I think every game has been really good up until this point that we've picked, save maybe last week. And that had to do with the quarterback injury and uh, uh, things like that for Spring Mills. But it's Musselman Morgantown tonight. It's a top 10 AAA matchup, two against six in the 
the Metro, or rather the SSAC playoff rankings. It's the AARP Class AAA game of the week. You just heard uh, Kyle Wiggs in the morning news talk about that that's the game to highlight for Class AAA. So we're really excited about it. Martinsburg and Hedgesville is also a top 10 matchup tonight. That's five against 10. Both teams have one loss, and that's going to change after tonight. So I'm excited to see how that game goes down. Jefferson takes on, I'm assuming you would call the execrable North Hagerstown. You told me this already. They're the townies or something? <laughs> The, they are the townies. I'm going to tell you, they are the townies up there in North Hagerstown. They're the hubs. The hubs. Okay, the hubs. yeah. The, the North Hagerstown I'm going to start hubs. calling them the townies, yeah. <laughs> the townies. And then uh, Washington takes on a Parkview team. Interesting matchup there. Washington's in search of their first win. Parkview's not very good, but they can throw the ball whenever they want. So that's going to be interesting to see how the uh, the single wing will, will take advantage. Spring Mills is in their bye week. And uh, Berkeley Springs goes to Tucker County. So it's a tough turnaround for Parkers going from Blacksburg to Tucker County, which many would say is the same town uh, as uh, the, the the tribe go for their first win today as well. And, and then we need a wellness check on Parker, make sure he uh, <laughs> made sure he made it through the night in Blacksburg as West, as him being a West Virginia fan. Uh, I saw the videos at the end because the West Virginia Maniacs is like the, yeah. the student ultras, whatever. They took a bus down there. A friend of mine was down there as well. Embarrassing from Virginia Tech fans. They really? were piling out early in the fourth quarter, and by the time the game was over, all the Mountaineer fans had come down to field level and had congregated. You, you look at the broadcast, and it looks like there was like 50 WVU fans there, but at the end of the game, it looked like a few thousand, <laughs> and they were well represented and took over um, the, the stadium by the time the game was over. Well, the Black Diamond Trophy will uh, stay in Morgantown really for the foreseeable future. They don't play... They, well, Virginia Tech has their non-conference schedule scheduled all the way through 2036. Oof. So, the Black Diamond... There's a there's a Twitter account called How Long Has West Virginia Held the Black Diamond Trophy? <laughs> that guy is in for a long stretch. <laughs> Not that he's complaining because I think he's a Mountaineer fan, but, well, you know. Well, shoot us a text, 240-363-5505. Text us, 240-363-5505. Let us know what your thoughts are on the West Virginia game and that Panhandle Game of the Week. So uh, for those that will be tuned in tonight to the Panhandle Game of the Week again, Musselman, Morgantown, at Musselman. Uh, like you said, the whole state's going to be watching it. Uh, who are some of the people that uh, people should be you know, listening out for today? Well, obviously, you've got those big two from Musselman. Uh, Baden Hartman's their quarterback, uh, and Brian Thomas has called him a gunslinger. Ray Adamas has been called the best West, uh, wide receiver in the state of West Virginia, and I don't think he's that far off. He's going up tonight against the guy we want to keep an eye on from Morgantown High, Bobby Powell. I really like him as a defensive back. That's going to be the marquee matchup. Is he able to limit Adamas, or is Adamas going to be able to dominate? Because what Musselman does so well is... If Adamas is being taken away in coverage like he was by Tayshawn Roper in the Jefferson game, mm-hmm. they'll motion him into the backfield, they'll pitch it to him, let him take some snaps as a running back, You know, try to get him away from that man coverage. So those are the two to watch for more uh, Musselman. We've talked about Wollaston extensively uh, with Brian Thomas when we talked to him a couple of days ago. Their big tight end seems to get better every game, and he's really good off the edge. Um, not to mention Jacob Shelton, who we just continue to not mention. He's having a very good season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the Morgantown side of things, their big fullback, Caleb Nutter, in the single wing is their leading carrier. Maddox Bowers is the son of longtime Morgantown high school football coach John Bowers, who's now their athletic director. Um, he is the wrinkle in that offense that was so run heavy last year. He can throw the ball 30, 40, 50 yards. He's got the receivers to do it. Um, Jacob Kears is number one wideout. I expect him to have a big game. Dakoma Neal played baseball with his brother. His brother was a heck of a player. <laughs> Dakoma Neal is their big tight end as well. He's good off the edge on defense, but he is also an underrated pass catcher for somebody his size. So it's not going to be a traditional Blake Hartman 
uh, versus Morgantown pound the rock football game that's going to take 10 minutes. They are going to air it out a little bit more. It's going to be more dynamic, and it's going to be one of the best games in AAA all season long. Do you think it ends up in a track meet? I think it's a balance of both. I think it's whichever quarterback can get uh, that game, their offense established quicker. You know, Dave Wilson talked about the Hedgesville game being decided amongst the big boys up front in the offensive line. And Hedgesville had a good offensive line, but it kind of ran out of gas in the third and fourth quarter. But whichever quarterback can get their hand on that game early, I think is going to control the tempo of the game. If it's Musselman, I think it'll be higher scoring. Um, if it's Bowers and Morgantown High, I would expect it to be probably a game that doesn't see more than 40 points combined, uh, but nonetheless still a very competitive game. And I hope we get a uh, high flying one. I mean, we've had all the Panhandle games of the week have been great, but they've all been kind of old-fashioned. Yeah, they've all been old-fashioned, kind of run the ball and then take it down to the last couple of drives type of football, which is fun. But, man, I want to see somebody air it out. I want to see some <laughs> of these guys that we know. And that's what, uh, I, you know, Upset me a little bit, I guess. Upset might be a little too harsh, but uh, watching or doing a couple of those Jefferson games, I want to see those guys start running. And we did a few times here and there. We got glimpses, uh, but I'd like to see that too in this Martinsburg or uh, Musselman and Morgantown matchup as the Mohegans are coming down to face the Appleman in South Berkeley tonight. You can tune in right here on 93.7-1340 WPMWCST for our Panhandle Game of the Week. It's always a good one. And make sure uh, on Monday morning, you uh, tune back in here to Panhandle Sports Live. Then we'll give you our next Panhandle Game of the Week. It's crazy to think that the season's like, what, a quarter of the way over now? Yeah, this is week five. It's ha- it's almost halfway over. Yeah. So you're right. It just continues to fly. You know, in college football, starting to ramp up as well. You're right. Games get to, I mean, obviously the season will continue with the postseason. Mm-hmm. We'll have a playoff game every week. We're probably expecting Martinsburg to go the distance again. So, But you're right. In terms of the regular season, we're flying. Well, as we got a couple minutes, about three minutes, do we get, get do we have to get to our first break? Let's talk about this West Virginia game because it didn't start off. Uh, well, I guess ultimately, hindsight, it's always easy to look back at the start of games, and be like, yeah, it wasn't that bad. But the Mountaineers were down early, weren't they? Yeah, they were. Uh, they kick a field goal early in this game after a couple of punts, and then Virginia Tech scores their first and only touchdown of the game. It was a great ball by Grant Wells to his tight end in the back of the end zone, Caleb Smith. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but then WVU started to seize control of this one. Uh, holding Virginia Tech to really not much of anything rushing the football. I believe it was 12 yards rushing at the end of the first half, and it was 35 yards rushing for the game. What I liked about this one is, you know, JT Daniels has already proved that he can be an NFL-style quarterback in a shootout against Kansas. He, I understand he threw the interception to steal the game, but he didn't lose us the Kansas game. It was nice to see him win what I thought was a bit of an ugly game early. You know, not everything's going to be... You're throwing for 400 yards, whatever. Against a good defense, sometimes you just things got to get a little ugly. Yeah. And I, he helped the Mountaineers ready the storm through a bit of an ugly game through three quarters, and then they started to pull away. C.J. Donaldson looked great. Um, West Virginia fans, I think they said it on the broadcast, but we need to be clear. He carries the ball 23 times for 106 yards, and there are Mountaineer fans that think that he should get every carry. <laughs> Neil Brown said... He's not in full running back shape yet. He can't yeah. be that guy. He's 240 pounds. Like, that's hard to give a 240-pound man 30 carries a game. Uh, but Justin Johnson came in and looked amazing. The St. Louis native. Got to see him play high school basketball a couple of times when I was out visiting some family. Tony Mathis did okay, but it is does look like he's starting to lose that job. And on the outside, Caden Prather's your leading receiver in this one. He looks like an NFL guy. Bryce Ford Wheaton had a bad game. Or not a bad game, but a game where he didn't get as many targets as you would have liked. 
But it's good to see that other guys stepped up. Michael Laughlin played well. Reese Smith had a nice grab. Same James with a touchdown. You know, in games that they're going to start to take Wheaton away, other guys can step up, which means you can no longer take Wheaton away, and then he's going to start, you know, having the more dominant games that he had in the beginning of the season. But uh, offensive line, that might have been the best offensive line performance under the Neil Brown era, running the football. They look fantastic. The Mountaineers haven't had a good running back in years, let alone two or three, with Johnson coming onto the scene. Prather looks good. Defense looks great against a bad offense. Grant Wells left a lot to be imagined yesterday. He did not play a very good game. Um, and that was an average to below average power five team that you just beat. And now, I hate to say it as somebody that's not a big fan of Virginia Tech, but like Brian Thomas said when they beat Musselman, or uh, they beat Jefferson, the Musselman head coach. Now you become Virginia Tech's biggest fan. Mm-hmm. You know, go out and beat some people and make that become a quality win for us. Well, speaking of Grant Wells, let's remind everybody what he said in the press conference prior <laughs> to last night's game. Yeah, I mean, you know, they were my favorite team growing up, so obviously there there was that, but I was never really recruited by them. So, uh, you know, once recruiting started, nothing really uh, came of that. Does the feeling flip once you go to Marshall and, like, state rival at that point and go, okay, I'm done with these guys now? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty early when, you know, they I noticed they weren't recruiting that, you know, I stopped following them and, uh, you know, my feelings changed towards them. So, you know, it's been a while since, you know, I was a fan of them and uh, yeah, that feeling really hasn't changed. And like you said earlier this morning, Luke, one of the funniest tweets I think I've ever heard and you were telling me about it because I haven't seen it yet, but you said uh, that you saw somebody tweet, Grant Wells finally was able to throw a touchdown pass for West Virginia when he threw that pick six at the end of the game, which I think is hilarious. Perfect way to kind of sum up uh, that Black Diamond battle for the Black Diamond trophy, and West Virginia keeps it until at least, what, what did you say, 2036? I think it's 2036 or 2037. Well, I have to keep, uh, well, yeah, that guy's got to keep his Twitter fingers ready for how long West Virginia's kept the Black Diamond (laughs) trophy. But stick around after the break. We'll chat about the uh, Ernie McCook show last night down at Captain Better's Tavern. You can hear every Thursday at 730 over on 95.9 The Big Dog. Uh, And then we got a little international soccer on, too. The U.S. men's national team getting ready to take the field against Japan. So we'll chat about that, too. Uh, And more here on Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, part of the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, brought to you by Mountaineer Kitchens and Bath. You can visit them at mountaineerkitchensandbath.com on Facebook, or you can visit them at their showroom at 967 Hedgesville Road in Martinsburg. I'm Jordan Icewinner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs. Before we get into the uh, recap of the Ernie McCook show last night, we got a little uh, we got a little footy on TV right now, Luke. Yeah, we've got uh, some international friendly, some World Cup tune-up as the U.S. men's national team is taking on Japan. Pretty strong side for Japan, for the United States. Not so much. No Christian Pulisic. And they're cycling in some guys in their back line. Uh, Aaron Long's playing. Walker Zimmerman's playing, which I am not a fan of. And Sam Vines, uh, who plays in Belgium, is playing at left back today. But uh, biggest thing to keep an eye on, if you're somebody that doesn't follow the men's national team that well, need a striker. Don't know who that guy's going to be. Matthew Hoppe, Ferreira, Ricardo Pepe, Josh Sargent. It's Jesus Ferreira who plays in the MLS for Dallas that's starting up top tonight, and he does wear the number nine, which is usually the number you give to your top striker. Who's going to be that starting striker for the United States in the World Cup? That's what you want to try to figure out over these next couple of friendlies. Hmm. And that Japanese uh, badge there, Japanese national badge, is cool. That's a clean badge. I'm not gonna <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty that's, neat. That's pretty cool. Pretty neat. And uh, we talked. I think we talked about it uh, on a past panel of Sports Live, but the U.S. men's national team kits their jerseys. 
when they debuted them online looked awful, but I think they look a lot better in game. They're okay. I will say this. I showed you those concept jerseys, the Constitution or the Declaration oh, yeah. of Independence one and the uh, World's Waldo one. Uh, those are actually getting made uh, by a company uh, that for Mount or uh, men's national team fans to wear instead of the kits that they have for the World Cup. And I think I might get one of them because they do look spectacular. Yeah, they do look pretty cool. They look pretty cool. But last night, uh, we were getting people tuned up for uh, Shepherd football because Saturday's a big one on the road up at Kutztown. You can tune in to myself and Luke over on 95.9 The Big Dog starting at 11 tomorrow morning. Uh, kickoff is at noon, but Kutztown is always one you circle on the list. That's your bur- that's your that's really your biggest threat, your biggest, um, I guess you can call it rival, uh, in the PSAC East. Now, yes, last week was a big PSAC game as well, but that's a different division. Uh, this one, I mean, it's your direct rival. And everybody remembers uh, last year, especially with the Hail Mary catch in the quarterfinals. I mean, uh, we were, me and Coach were talking about it, and I get chills even just thinking about it. And then when I got home, I had to listen to the whole uh, final drive of that game back again just to <laughs> relive it again. Uh, but before we talk about that, let's hear from Coach McCook, getting us uh, kind of ready and uh, get, giving us the info we need coming into this Kutztown game tomorrow. But let's start talking about this matchup coming into Kutztown this weekend because, as we know, Kutztown is always pretty much the team you got to beat, right, especially in our conference. And right now it's Shepard, Kutztown, 1-2, PSAC East. What are we expecting? Are we expecting pretty much the status quo from this Kutztown team? Uh, if you're expecting really well-coached football team that plays great in all three phases, that's what you're going to get with Kutztown University. Jim Clements, our head coach, has been there, uh, I think, about seven years, eight years has done a great job building that program to a national level. Uh, He does it with great defense. Their defense flies around. Uh, Great scheme, great players. Offensively, they they are really good at what they decide to do if they want to throw the ball or run the ball or the RPO part of it. Uh, And the kicking game, they're really solid. So they, they hurt us in the kicking game last year at home. And, um, you know, I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Kutztown and how they coach, how they play, and the effort that they put together. So we're going to be in a ball game that we're going to have to play for an entire 60 minutes, and we're going to have to play very good football to be able to compete with them. So what have you guys been working on this week of practice to kind of, you know, get better from last week? Blocking, tackling, uh, discipline, uh, things like that. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be, you know, they, they ran the ball only six times last week. You know, but I think that, you know, they have a dynamic receiver in Knapp and Cap, and he's really a great player, grad student for him. I was hoping he would have graduated and gone on and got a better job. Um, and then, you know, they have a big physical offensive line. They're really good with the schemes that they do. Their running backs are in sync all the time. I mean, it's just a, it's a really good football program. Yeah. And um, they're great in all three phases. And, you know, when you ask what we work on, you know, our, our guys know they're a good football team. And they've been able to stay focused and practice has had great energy. The meetings have been very attentive in all, all, all position groups. So I think it's, um, you know, I think we're going to be prepared when we go and play. We just need to execute. Well, if there's one thing you know for sure, the Coach McCook and the rest of the staff is going to have the boys ready for this game at Kutztown. But when you throw in, you know, the game last year, Kutztown, they uh, you know, had that weird loss to Assumption at the beginning of the season, and then they've come out and they've scored a ton of points, 50 points up on uh, Mercyhurst last week. They are ready. They're firing on all cylinders, and they just got that, you know, they have that little extra motivation coming into this Shepard uh, game this week. But then on the other side of the coin, Shepard, well, they got 
everything to lose. I mean, they're at the top of the division. They're undefeated. You know, they got their quarterback that's uh, still one of the best, if not the best, in D2 football. You have uh, a receiver now that's the second best in the country in D2 football. So there's a lot kind of coming together for a week four game, Luke. Yeah, and you know, it's something that Neil Brown had said earlier in the year. It's games like this that you don't have to worry about motivating your team because they know what's at stake. Uh, a lot of veterans on either side of the ball have played against each other, and they know what this game means. Kutztown hasn't have lost just one PSAC conference game since 2018 in the regular season. Um, but, of course, that bitter taste in their mouth is that Shepard postseason win that everybody obviously rightfully so continues to bring up. So there's a lot at stake. It's two teams with very conflicting styles. Kutztown's built around their defense and their ability to control tempo and possession running the football. Shepard's got that air raid that just threw for 490 yards. Now they can run the ball. They have in the past. But it's going to be interesting to see against Kutztown, very similar to they were in the Cal game. They're not going to be able to establish the run quite as easily as they did as their first two games of the season against Southern Connecticut State and Edinburgh. So how willing are they going to be to abandon the run and just let Tyson throw the ball 50 times again? Mm-hmm. Or are they going to continue to try to establish it as the game goes on? That's the thing I'm the most interested in watching. Well, in that game last year, their last meeting, I mean, Kutztown, they had 189 yards rushing. Uh, then for Shepard, I mean, Bajan, 30 for 42, 248 yards passing, a touchdown. He did throw an interception, but then Ronnie Brown kind of picked up for that with a touchdown and nine carries. It's going to be, it's, I mean, it's crazy to talk about how big of a game this is when it's only week four. And it's really your first, what's your first conference game. Well, and that's the thing for, you're right, uh, first game in your division. For, for division, Kutztown, yeah. if you lose this game, then your bid for a PSAC championship is already over four weeks into the season. Maybe not necessarily for Shepard, but then it makes things a lot dip, more difficult. And obviously you're looking at a roster of players that have been with this program so long, they want to go out perfect in the regular season mm-hmm. at least and get back to that conference tournament or championship game, I should say. Uh, so you're right. A lot at stake for it being early doors in the season, especially on the Kutztown side of things. But, you know, you're playing at their barn. Although, if I'm correct, in the four matchups, the road team has won every single game. Yep. Obviously, that's not a trend that you can lean on. But that is also another little quirk in this matchup that, uh, you know, home field advantage doesn't seem to matter when these two teams play. And it's going to be crazy at Andre Reed Stadium up at the University, well, Kutztown University uh, on Saturday. They, uh, well, at their first home game, which was the Cal game uh, two weeks ago, they had around 4,000 people in attendance. And I would imagine it's going to be a little bit more uh, than that. But listen to this. The Rams are pretty used to that because last week, guess how many people were at that game last week? At the Shepard game at home? 4,500. 5,634 people at that game at Ram Stadium. It's That's different. Incredible. It's different in Shepherdstown on a uh, Saturday. And that Saturday. doesn't even count the people on the bridge. That's right. The bridge and the uh, the parking lots still. I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, you'd think if you didn't know where you were at and you just kind of opened your eyes and you were you know, in Shepherdstown on game day, you'd think it was like a D1 team. Not to mention the extra 100,000 to 150,000 that were listening to the radio broadcast. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Over on 95.9, the big dog. Uh, but stick around after the break. We'll chat about this uh, U.S. men's national team game a little bit. And, of course, we got Thursday Night Football to talk about. Uh, nothing better uh, than watching the Steelers lose. In prime time. (laughs) You can't ask for a better Thursday for me. But stick around. We'll talk about all that more here on Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Tweet the guys at EP News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, brought to you by Mountaineer Kitchens and Baths. You can visit them at mountaineerkitchensandbath.com. On Facebook, or you can visit them at their showroom at 967 Hedgesville Road in Martinsburg. I'm Jordan Nice Warner. Alongside me 
is Luke Wiggs. And Luke, I've been seeing Japan with the ball a lot more than the U.S. It seems when I look over there. United States have had the best chance in this game. Serginho Dest with a good move around the defender. Uh, he's uh, a defender for the United States, but cut forward, delivered a ball into the box. Jesus Ferreira had a chance to head it towards goal. was completely unmarked, which means he didn't have a defender around him and just put it over the crossbar. We talked about who's that number nine, that striker that's going to be able to finish for the men's national team. Uh, Ferreira starting today, and he's played the last couple of games up top, but he had the best chance of the game so far and completely squandered it. But you're right. Uh, Japan's been on the ball a lot more. You know, they've got some guys in some cohesion. They've actually uh, had just a little bit more possession when you look at the stats. But uh, Junior Ito plays for Reims, I believe is in France. And uh, I really like Dyson Maeda. I get to see him a lot in Scotland. He plays for Celtic. Uh, they're not as talented, but mm -hmm. they're playing to be the better team right now. Okay, that's on ESPN2 if you want to check that out. If you've got a little time this morning. Uh, but let's talk about this Thursday night football game because, well, the Steelers, they blew it towards the end and they lose to the Browns 29-17. to And it really all came down to that fourth quarter, a 13-point fourth quarter for the Cleveland Browns. And it was kind of a wacky one, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. It it was, it, and it ended on a, a defense, a fumble return for a touchdown. So the Steelers had a chance to come back in that game. Mitchell Trubisky just continues to not play that well and at one point are they going to start coming for Kenny Pickett's uh calling for his head to get Kenny Pickett in the game is what I meant to say and Aji Harris is having a heck of a sophomore slump for the Steelers you know people are talking about putting these videos he's missing open holes and a lot of that has to come with the fact that he wasn't given rooms to run last year mm -hmm. uh so there's some you know hangover in that regard but he's not moving the ball that well on the ground uh, who's that second wide receiver going to be? George Pickett's been one of the greatest catches I've Whoa. ever seen yesterday, but he hasn't been consistent as Japan nearly scores again. Uh, <laughs> it can't be just Deontay Johnson. They've got to find somebody else to be a pass catcher. Two big receptions for Fryamuth in this one, but he continues to struggle. You just lost to an average Browns roster with Jacoby Brissett playing, and Jacoby Brissett who obviously wasn't expected to be the starting quarterback for the Browns coming into this year, most likely outdueled Mitchell Trubisky, who you spent money for in free agency, and you couldn't stop Nick Chubb on the ground. So lots of concerns for the Steelers, who I thought would be able to weather the storm without T.J. Watt uh, because he's a big piece of their defense. They did not look good against the Browns. Yeah, Trubisky, 20 for 32, 207 yards. Uh, he got sacked once. He had a QB rating of 57.4, which I don't necessarily know the QB rating scale too well, but I know that that's not very good. Not great. Uh, Jacoby Brissett, 21 for 31, 220 yards uh, with two touchdowns. Of course, Jaco or, uh, Trubisky didn't have any uh, touchdowns, but a 69.9 QB rating for Jacoby Brissett. Nice. Um, Najee Harris, you said 15 carries, 56 yards in it. And I've been seeing, I feel like that's hitting Twitter a lot because it hit for uh, the Ravens there in that uh, game last Sunday, showing videos of these running backs missing these holes. And, you know, you'd think with this, I mean, I could have ran through some of the holes, that, especially in that Ravens game, especially last night. And Najee Harris just wasn't able to, you know, how can you not see them at that point? Well, and, and like I said, I should explain it a little bit clearer. What I meant to say was last year they had no room to run because their offensive line was one of the worst in the NFL. So it's almost like he's been conditioned to not look for space because he never had it. And now he does, and he can't figure out what to do with it. But, you know, if they can't move the ball at all on the ground or give Najee Harris the touches that he needs to get, then it's hard for them to do what they need to do offensively because Trubisky's not the kind of guy that can throw the ball 40, 50 times a game like Ben. But, again, as the Steelers continue to drop games, at what point do you just say, even though it's a two-year contract for Trubisky, there's no reason to continue to play him if we're not going to make the playoffs, which they're not trending to that way right now. At what point will Pickett play? And I hate to say it because of his situation, obviously, but Jacoby Brissett is doing everything that the Browns need to do to get this 
season back into the hands of Deshaun Watson when he's done with his suspension, strictly from a football standpoint. Mm -hmm. They're doing a lot of the right things to compete for a playoff spot. And Amari Cooper for the uh, Browns. He had seven catches, 101 yards, uh, touchdown. He had a long of 32. It's always good to see Amari Cooper. He's Man, he's fun to watch. When he's healthy and he's firing on all cylinders, he's pretty pretty electric out there. He was frustrating as a Raider fan that his sophomore year he led the NFL in drops. Uh, But yes, he's really talented. Uh, they just it was a luxury that they couldn't afford in Dallas so they move him on to Cleveland and he's doing this again with Jacoby Brissett he's doing it with a bad quarterback <laughs> you know it'll be interesting to see him and Deshaun Watson link up Donovan Peoples-Jones as well another weapon that the Browns have in their arsenal you know they're good on the defensive side of the ball it's just about finding the right receiver combinations that right tight end if they've spent so much money to try to find the right tight end over the years and uh, quarterback play but you know the Bengals are faltering the Steelers are faltering the Ravens look really good but the Browns are in a good spot to be the second playoff team to come out of that division. Now, uh, going over to baseball, we're still waiting for Aaron Judge to uh, well make history. And last night, he had a chance to, but he ends up walking a bunch, and then he hits a ball that, if you were watching on TV, it wouldn't be too uh, far off to think that you thought he hit that to, what, Staten Island <laughs> or something. And everybody in the stands thought he did it. The cameraman was back, uh, and here's that call that you heard uh, last night on the flyout. I'll remind you, because uh, Judge still has yet to hit number 61. And the pitch is swung on and hit in the air to deep center. Hernandez back. He's on the track. Next to the wall makes the catch. He made the catch right at the Monument Park wall. Oh, almost. Man, the the just collective disappointment uh, by all the folks there at Yankee Stadium. It is jam-packed for these games right now, of course, because we want to see history. Uh, and, I mean, what better place to do it than at Yankee Stadium? But, man, that how much – it's got to be so hard now because he's trying to hit home runs at this point instead of just trying to swing freely and get hits. Well, a couple of things to that. One, he got walked three times. Yeah. Nobody wants to pitch to him. You know, somebody's going to have to pitch to him at some point for this to happen. Number two, I'm sure you saw it. The camera guy, it's almost like he did that to psych everybody out. He just jerks the camera straight up. And like you said, he hit the ball across the Hudson and then comes back down into center field. It's almost like he was doing that just to troll with everybody. Because off the bat, it looked like it was going to be the longest home run in MLB history. He flies out to the warning track. He'll get there. He definitely will. Oh, for sure. I mean, if if teams can pitch to him, which uh, hopefully they do. Um, but it's just only a matter of time. But it was funny yesterday to see how many people were frustrated as he walked his first three at-bats and then flew out to the warning track. Dead center, mind you. Well, what I think the cameraman was doing, if I could put my camera operator hat on, I guess, is that uh, it was to dead center. So if you could have picked the type of hit, type of home run for Judge to hit to break the record, that I mean, everything was perfect for that. It's at home, packed, right in dead center field. So I think he was zoomed out to try and get the graphic once it pops up on the mm. Jumbotron. It says, you know, 61, whatever. Um, but then he realized that it was not a home run, and then everybody, well, got pretty disappointed. And the videos of his family, too, watching it, and they're like all mid-conversation, and they hear the bat crack, and they freak out, and they freeze, and then they all go back to their conversation again. It's pretty fun. <laughs> Uh, but keeping going in professional sports, well, Joe Mazzulla, officially, well, he's running the Celtics now. How crazy is that? Incredible. I never thought I'd say Joe Mazzulla is an NBA head coach. He was coaching Fairmont State in 2019. How crazy is that? You know, he's somebody that tried the professional ranks a couple of times, went overseas, 
uh, was in the Celtics organization for a little while in the G League. Then he decided he needed head coaching experience. He goes to Fairmont State. He sits behind Jared Calhoun for a while. I, I said yesterday that he was the one that got to the national championship game. I was incorrect. That was Calhoun. <laughs> but he then had two 21 seasons in a row for the Falcons. I was at Glenville State for a while as well. Um, and then goes back to the Celtics organization. And what's funny is before all this stuff crept up with him being the head coach, um, he was getting a tremendous amount of praise in the offseason for his ability to develop players, what he was doing in the summer league, the G League. He had worked his way onto the bench for the NBA Finals. you know. And, and again, a lot of things kind of bounced his way. Uh, another top ass- assistant for the Celtics leaving to take the Jazz job, which to be fair, he also interviewed for and was a finalist for. But, you know, we're wishing all the best things for him, obviously. You have to wonder if he's maybe just a little bit in over his head. What's interesting Seems is... Seems like a big, a big leap. What's interesting is Brad Howe, who loves the sound of his own voice, was uh, breaking this down extensively <laughs> yesterday. You didn't have to do that to Brad like that. <laughs> I love you didn't Brad. Have to do Brad, it to we him love like you. That. I'm just picking on Brad. <laughs> uh, he, he said something that is true because I got to see Missoula coach a couple of times at Fairmont State. His demeanor has completely changed. As a mm. player, he was the psychotic <laughs> yeah, you know, defender nuts. on the ball. He's got the crazy eyes. As a coach, he's a much more reserved, and he lets players dictate the huddle late in games. He lets his you know his best players kind of figure out how they want to close out games, which is a characteristic of a good NBA coach. Now, obviously, you can't be too malleable and get walked all over by your team, but mm-hmm. from a personnel standpoint, he seems like he's the kind of guy who gets it. Um, it seems like he's a good players coach, and he really is good at developing young talent, which you, know, you think about... I know they traded Aaron Neesmith, but Peyton Pritchard and things like that, that the Celtics, they know they have Tatum and Brown and Horford and this this big core and Marcus Smart, these veterans, but they need these younger players to step up as well and help contribute if they want to win the finals. That's the thing. He's taking over a team that just went to the NBA what, finals. Yeah. He's not taking over the magic. Yeah. You know, there's high expectations there. Well, that's a, I guess that's a question I should ask you, not, not to prolong this discussion. <laughs> what are those expectations then for Joe Mazzulla? Because on one aspect, you've got two of the best young players in the NBA and you just went to the finals. On the other hand, he also has kind of the out of... Well, Ime Adoka screwed this up, so there's no pressure for me to succeed. And I think that's it right there. I think that there's just so much going on drama-wise with the front office and the organization that has taken all the eyes off of the team and their play and their prep coming into the season because the basketball season, the NBA season's like next. It feels like it's the next week. I think it's yeah. like just a few months. It's right around the corner. So I think that gives him a little bit of an out that should make it a little easier, especially if they have a slow start. Maybe they don't win a few games. They lose a couple series here and there uh, first couple of months of the season. I think then, you know, he has that out to say, well, look, we're still dealing with all this craziness. I got thrown into this two months before the season starts. Um, But on the other hand, he's got the team, like you said, that they should be good right out of the box. And with NBA teams, I feel like if they're good enough, they don't really need a coach. That's true. You that know, so they true. can do it themselves anyways with uh, how talented they are in the NBA. So I think there's a couple of different things, but I think he does have a little bit more of an out, uh, a little bit more of an easier track because of all the uh, stuff coming through uh, with the front office stuff, which is just getting muddier and muddier and muddier as uh, the days continue, it seems. And it's just crazy. He's the first former WVU basketball player to be an NBA head coach since Rod Thorne coached the Bulls in the 80s. And then right before that, Jerry West coached the Lakers. Jerry West, Rod Thorne, Joe Mazzulli. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought you'd say those three names in a row like that, huh? <laughs> Joe Mazzulli. But yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Hopefully the Knicks can beat him a couple of times so we can talk about it. Uh, talk about it here. Hopefully the Knicks are a little better this year. And if he's a, if he's any good, more than welcome to have Joe Mazzulli. Maybe he can come back and play. They need a point guard on the Knicks. 
<laughs> Might not be able to pay him as much as they do to coach uh, the Celtics. But anyway, stick around after the break. We'll come back. We'll get Parker's picks uh, for this Friday, and then we'll put a bow on things for this Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Sports Live, your home for sports in the Panhandle. Here's Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, brought to you by Mountaineer Kitchens and Bath. You can visit them on Facebook or you can visit their showroom at 967 Hedgesville Road in Martinsburg. And go to mountaineerkitchensandbath.com as well. I'm Jordan Warner alongside me, Luke Wiggs. And before we get in uh, to this USA-Japan friendly, which is currently sitting at Japan 1, USA nil. It's going to VAR, but we'll get into that here in a second. Let's hear from Parker for Parker's picks on this Friday. Yeah, well, that's called beginner's luck. Luck, 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 luck. Yeah, I like to call this my lock of the day. Prove it, it's never fails. Never failed once. All right, guys, here we go. Friday means we got double slates for football. So going into Saturday slate for the college, lock of the day for your Saturday games. Give me Utah to beat Arizona State by 15 points. Of course, Arizona State just let go of Herm Edwards. Arizona State's going to be in a rough way. And I think Utah is going to absolutely bring it to the Sun Devils. Other picks I like for as well include USC to cover the spread against Oregon State. That's just a six and a half spread. Give me the Trojans all the way. I've loved them all through this season. They're going to cover the spread in that one. As well as some other games I like too. Give me Kansas to beat Duke. I don't know about the spread. Give me Kansas just to outright win on the money line. And also, I'll throw you a game for tonight as well because we got a little bit of college football going on on your Friday night. Give me Syracuse to cover the 9.5 point spread against Virginia. Syracuse has been doing well. Virginia struggled as of late. Give me the Orange to cover the spread against the Cavaliers. And my lock of the day for college is Utah to beat Arizona State by 15 points. And now for your NFL picks for this Sunday. I think I have one of the best lock of the days I've brought to you this entire year. I have the Baltimore Ravens covering the three-point spread against the Patriots. The Ravens are much better than the Patriots on paper. Lamar and crew are going to be wanting to get a big win after that tough loss in Miami. I think the Ravens handle the Patriots easily, and they cover that three-point spread. Another one I like as well is the Chiefs to beat the Colts by seven points and cover the spread there. I think the Chiefs are miles ahead of the Colts, and the Colts might be one of the worst teams in football. I don't know. It's only two weeks. It's very early in the season, but the Colts look very rough, and I don't think they're going to come anywhere close to where the Chiefs are right now. Other games I like to include the Vikings to beat the Lions just because that game's at 1 o'clock, and Kirk Cousins will play good. He's not going to be in prime time. I like the Vikings to beat the Lions in that one. As well as the Raiders are going to beat the Tennessee Titans on the road. I think the Titans are in a rough way as well. I think the Raiders really need to get a win in this game. They should have beaten the Cardinals. They're starting 0-2. The Titans are starting 0-2. Got blown out by the Bills. Lost to the Giants. I think the Raiders are going to get the win here this weekend. So again, my lock of the day for the NFL for this weekend is going to be the Ravens covering the three-point spread against the New England Patriots. There's Parker's picks for this Friday or this Saturday, I guess, in the weekend. Uh, so if you missed anything, so you can always listen back over on Panhandle News Network's Facebook page and Spotify. But Luke, we are losing to Japan right now, one nothing. Uh, the men's national team in this uh, World Cup friendly right now. Yeah, Dachi Kamada plays in Germany for Frankfurt. Uh, scores the first goal of the game, the only game so far, or the only goal so far. Uh, we thought it might get disallowed by VAR. They took another look at it. He was onside. Uh, 
defense for the men's national team is not something that we consider to be a problem. You know, we've got Robertson, Robinson, excuse me, from Fulham. Chris Richards back there as well. Serginio Dest just moved from Barcelona. Uh, there's some backups in today in that back line. Those defenders are not playing well, uh, specifically Aaron Long, who never should ever play for the national team. Um, and you're lacking a little bit of creativity offensively, but your best player in Christian Pulisic isn't playing. Um, and you need some depth still in your midfield. Luca Della Torre is also not very good at soccer. Um, so there's some players that Greg Berhalter should not be playing in this match that he is just to kind of see what he has. It's a friendly. It doesn't mean much. But still to get outplayed by uh, another team that's going to struggle or a team that's going to struggle at the World Cup is not ideal, especially when you think about you know who the United States have in their group because looking at how they're playing right now, they're not in condition to beat Wales, and they're definitely not in condition to beat England. And you're going to have to beat one of those two teams to come out of the group along with Iran. Um, so certainly not the best start to their friendly campaign in this international window. Yeah, people are forgetting, uh, those that are following you know soccer and World Cup and men's national team and whatnot, that we are in a crazy tough group in the World Cup. Yeah, and it's a shame that, like I said, as a supporter kind of of the Scottish national team, that they're not going to be there as well as they lost to Ukraine, and then Ukraine lost to Wales. But Wales has Gareth Bale, who's come over to play soccer in the United States in the MLS, who's a very good player. Obviously, England's the best team in the world in terms of pure talent. It just comes down to are they able to win big tournaments. Obviously, United States fans will remember that miraculous win against England in the World Cup. What was that, like 16 years ago? Something like and that. then Iran's not the greatest, but they've got really good team coaches cohesion but you know in terms of raw talent you could make the argument that the United States is the second best team in that group but Wales as a team that has a ton of tradition just went on a huge run in the 2016 Euros is somebody else that could certainly beat the United States I don't want to talk about too much soccer on this show but you know that's a Friday we only got a few minutes left you know because uh, we do have it, it anyways uh, the men's national team's talented it's about finding the right people and uh, and and playing as a team and so far they've not done that well, if you don't want to talk about soccer anymore, I guess we can transition back to our Panhandle Game of the Week, which is tonight right here on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Let people know again, Luke, what to expect on the airwaves tonight. Tune in at 6.50. That's when our pregame is going to start. The kickoff for this game will be at 7 p.m. Uh, Musselman and Morgantown, like we said, uh, all the pomp and circumstance surrounding this game. If Musselman wins this game, I say as somebody that votes in that SSAC power rankings poll, is somebody that I would be willing to put in the top three teams in AAA. Mm. With the one loss coming to Martinsburg and you took Martinsburg to the wire through two and a half quarters before they pulled away, you wouldn't know it looking at the scoreline. If Morgantown wins this game, I would make the argument that they're the second best team in the state. If not at least top three because Spring Valley should be undefeated by the end of this week as well. So there's a lot at stake for both of these teams. And don't forget, Musselman, as great as they've been playing, their season can be on the razor's edge because yeah. they still have to play Wheeling Park. Uh, they still have to play Parkersburg. You know, they've got – they still have to play Hedgesville. There's not easy wins for them down the stretch. So it's not a guarantee still that they could get the five wins. So if you lose this game and you fall to three and two, you put your postseason into just a little bit of jeopardy. But obviously, if you win, you establish yourselves as one of the best teams in the state. That's right. And tune in right here tonight for that panhandle game of the week between uh, Martin or Martinsburg, Morgantown and Musselman. Morgantown and Musselman at home at, at Musselman down in South Berkeley. So if you can't make it down to the game, make sure you tune in right here. 93.7-1340 WPM WCST. And also don't forget, tomorrow we got Shepard Rams football uh, over on 95.9 The Big Dog as the Rams are going up to Kutztown to take on the Golden Bears at a rematch for the first time they've met since that Hail Mary win last season. 
But uh, yeah, if you missed any of the show, you can listen back to it a little bit later on over on our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. But for Luke, I'm Jordan. This has been Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST. Panhandle Live is next. We will talk to you later. WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here, too.